From Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Hello and welcome to IFN Podcast. My name is Bini Tatan, the Managing Editor of IFN. In today's show, we are going to canvas the global supermarket. Now, understandably, it has been a very volatile year driven by a variety of factors, most significant of all the COVID-19 pandemic. So how have this impacted the performance of Sukuk? And what can we expect moving into the new year? Ku Po Sim, the head of global Sukuk at BNP Paribas Asset Management Najma, Malaysia, joins us today to share her thoughts. So welcome to the show, Apo Sim. It's so good to have you here with us today. We are going to talk about the global supercoat market and its performance over the last year. So obviously, 2020 has been uh, a tumultuous year, to say the least. I want to know, how has the supercoat market actually performed in 2020? Um, what can you tell us about you know, volume spread, demand, or even um, geographical distribution? Well, firstly, thanks for having me here. And like you said, it's been a tumultuous year. It's never a dull day since March, uh, I would say. Just to give a bit of background, global sukuk issuers are dominated by GCC countries. And uh, the split is roughly 60% GCC, 40% from Asia. So as you know, in GCC, majority are oil-producing countries. So um, back in March, uh, when Russia broke away from OPEC, whilst covid was at its height. Uh, oil prices subsequently plunged. It was trading at around $60 per barrel, thereabouts, and then it plunged about half, between $25 to $30 a barrel. It seemed like a perfect storm then. But uh, eventually, Russia came back to the fall, uh, came back to OPEC+, Plus, and uh, with a trillion-dollar commitment by the Federal Reserve to ensure markets continue to function properly, markets recovered quite quickly after that. And, uh, and along with it, global sukuk market. So I would say that, you know, it's been quite a good year for global sukuk. The investment-grade dollar sukuk return over the past three years has averaged uh, an annualized return of slightly over 6%. So what that means is that if you were holding dollar investment-grade uh, global sukuk, it would have returned over the past three years an annualized return of 6% a year. And uh, if you analyze it over five years, that's an average return of uh, slightly over 5%, 5.3% to be exact. And uh, for this year alone... Um, Year to date, as of November, uh, the return has been more than 7%, 7.3%. Right, so it's actually performed relatively well despite the pandemic. Yeah, it has actually. All right, so yeah. I'm curious to know then, does global sukuk trade differently um, from other hard currency sukuk? Um, well, not really actually, because um, majority of global sukuk uh, issuers, they issue in US dollars. Yeah, so it trades like any other dollar bond. The liquidity and the spread will follow a tiering system similar to other hard currency bonds. So, for example, by rating, so i.e. the higher the rating, the better the liquidity, the smaller the bid ask spread, or it could be by issuance size. So if you know the issue size is very large, for example, then there'll be more supply of it moving around. So in terms of liquidity, it will also be better, so and etc. So, but those are the two main factors, uh, the rating as well as the issue size. Interestingly, um, prior to the fall in oil prices back in 2014, uh, where it used to trade around $100 per barrel, it was around there, and it gradually fell to half of that over the course of the next two years. So by 2016, it was trading at half around 40 to $50 per barrel. So before that, we noticed prior to 2014, actually, there was a squeeze on the offer side. So what that meant was that um, demand for sukuk generally exceeded the supply of sukuk. There was a lot more demand compared to supply. 
primarily because the Gulf countries back then, they didn't really need to raise debt. They had a lot of financial reserves built up from many years of uh, bumper high oil prices. But since oil prices fell by half between 2014 to 2016, uh, to range trade at between $40 to $60 per so that is actually below the fiscal break-even price of, uh, for example, Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia, the fiscal break-even price is between $70 to $80 per barrel. So these countries have become uh, more present in debt markets. They tap a combination of hard currency as well as domestic local currency, uh, sukuk, as well as conventional. So they, they need to fund their fiscal deficit, so they have become more present in the, local, uh, sorry, in the global uh, market. Just to give a bit of numbers over here, to give context, the global Sukuk market, back when we started tracking in 2014, in terms of size, it's around $77 billion in 2014. And now, as of September, um, the numbers is as of September 2020, it has grown to $225 billion. So that's nearly a um, threefold increase over six years. And if you combine, so that's just global Sukuk alone, if you combine domestic and global, uh, as of uh, September 20 this year, the figure uh, is $630 billion from $285 billion back in 2014. So again, that's nearly double as well. Actually, very that's promising. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of debt, it has really increased, oh, sorry, breadth, it has really increased over the past few years. Um, and another interesting thing to highlight is that the greatest growth actually, to me, uh, that we have observed is that uh, Malaysian Sukuk, Malaysia is always the, the dominant issuer uh, and very, very um, the forefront of Islamic finance. So Malaysian sukuk used to make up over 60% of total sukuk. Now, the composition of Malaysia uh, in terms of the slice of the pie, uh, it has shrunk to slightly over 40%. So that's actually a good thing because what that meant was that uh, we are seeing a lot of other issuers tapping sukuk. Uh, and um, increasingly, uh, we see Saudi Arabia as well as Indonesia tapping more and more global sukuk. So that's a good thing. It's a positive trend because uh, we're seeing more diversity in terms of sukuk issuers. And uh, with that, with a more active uh, sukuk issuance profile, we see more trading, we see more coverage by research houses, and uh, we see a supply that is well able to match demand for it. Because if you recall uh, previously, there was generally a case of demand exceeding supply. So now we see demand and supply matching. And on a side note as well, uh, demand for sukuk has also benefited from inclusion of the Gulf countries such as uh, Saudi, Qatar, UAE, Bahrain and Kuwait. These are the Gulf countries. The inclusion of these Gulf countries into JP Morgan's suite of emerging market bond indices in 2019. So on that note of like diversity, um, not only in terms of diversity of issuers, we are actually also seeing, I would say, a diversity in the types of instruments or what Sukuk um, is being raised for. I think one of the most prominent trends we've seen recently is, of course, um, ESG or green and sustainable themes in the Islamic finance space, particularly in the Sukuk space. I want to know from your perspective, do you see this like, you know, is it a trend? Is it a fad? Is it sustainable? What do you make of it? And do you think we'll see more, more ESG issuances? Uh, what is actually driving this phenomenon? Well, actually, since 2018, actually, um, Indonesia was the first one to issue the, the uh, first green dollar sukuk actually. So they were the first one that we observed uh, in the global sukuk market in 2018. And uh, definitely we're seeing this team as well in sukuk and I don't expect it to fade anytime soon. We have observed more and more issuers tapping uh, what I call broadly ESG sukuk. But what we have seen is actually more issuers tapping on the E pillar, which is uh, the green sukuk. So in terms of the benchmark representation in the investment grade sukuk benchmark, Green suku actually represents about 5% of the IG suku universe, which is actually not a bad, not too bad, because if you recall, the very first 
green suku, green dollar sukuk was issued back in 2018. So we've already seen slightly more than 5% of the global sukuk dollar investment rate uh, universe in the benchmark. You know, it's 5% over. So it's a pretty, pretty good growth there. Yeah, and yeah, I don't expect this trade to fade anytime soon because it's actually responding to a global appetite for responsible instruments. I mean, it could be on the E, it could be on the S, it could mm-hmm. be the G pillar, but it's responding to the appetite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indonesia has made it a point uh, to issue green suku every year since 2018. So they have tapped in 2018, in 2019, and including this year, 2020. And uh, we've also seen corporates out of uh, UAE, as well as Saudi Arabia, they have been tapping green suku as well. So definitely expect this to be an area of growth uh, for global suku in the coming years. Do you think we'll see um, like green dollar suku out of Malaysia? Eventually, yeah. Definitely. Okay. So I feel like we can't really talk about 2020 without touching on the pandemic, obviously. Uh, so well, good news is that news about uh, potential COVID-19 vaccines or, you know, the fact that we've already started vaccinating in some in the UK, um, along with political developments in the US, have um, have boosted the equities markets tremendously. Do we see similar impact on super performance? For this year or next year? So this year has been a great year for fixing income, mm-hmm. definitely, thanks to all the trillion dollar stimuluses. Um, next year, I think uh, it's still going to be a strong market, a strong performance uh, coming from fixed income and global suku. Yeah, because we're still looking at easy monetary policy for the foreseeable future. Perhaps uh, overlooked or shunned sectors such as retail, such as aviation. These sectors have been uh, shunned generally this year. We may take a closer look at them now uh, in view of the improvement and, as you mentioned, the vaccine, uh, good news on the vaccine front. And uh, perhaps also to the high yield segments, this will be the immediate beneficiaries of any risk on flow. So yeah, these these are the types of segments that we'll be looking at next year. So you, you do sound rather optimistic about next year's performance. Or I mean, is that your market outlook for 2021? As far as investors or issuers, what should they be aware of moving into the new year? But this, this is pretty much tied to the previous question, um, I guess, but I still think it's going to be a strong year for fixed income next year. I think one of the advantages of global suku is that it's high grade. The average rating is A2 to A3 for an investment grade benchmark, so that's pretty high grade universe. And uh, we have observed it to be somewhat defensive, um, i.e. it doesn't sell off as quickly as other asset classes due to stronger holding power of sukuk buyers. I think sukuk buyers tend to buy and hold uh, generally a lot more and they don't trade it as much. So what we are going to be, however, next year is uh, we're going to be selective on valuation. I think as mentioned, I think this year has been a strong year for fixed income and likewise for global suku and credit spreads have compressed quite a fair bit. So spotting value opportunities next year will be key for me actually. And um, just to wrap up very quickly, of our listeners out there, like what are your top like three predictions or key takeaways for 2021? For markets or for global suku? Well, for let's begin with for markets. <laughs> uh, okay, so jumping broadly, I think I would expect that uh, with President-elect Biden at the helm, uh, we should have less headline trading next year. Uh, for obvious reasons, I won't go into since um, everyone should be pretty familiar. We've had pretty much quite a lot of swings in the market driven by tweets. So hopefully, a lot less of that next year. I'm looking forward to a return to multilateralism, engagement and American leadership again on mm-hmm. global platforms. I think that can be a given and can be expected. And as for global sukuk market, similar to this year, I would expect uh, elevated supply coming from Gulf countries because uh, global oil prices are still trading at below the fiscal break-even of most of these GCC countries and uh, that will require funding. So we do expect elevated supply to continue. Uh, so that's a good thing. 
And uh, lastly, actually, um, it's probably more of a wish rather than a prediction. Uh, a return to a bit of normalcy next year. <laughs> a bit more stability next year. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Thank you so much, Mosin, for joining us and for sharing your insights with us. Thank you for having me here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.